Today, Madi Kachi, star of Tyler Perry's Bruh and Netflix's The Lovebirds, shares his pursuit from naval officer to Hollywood and the ins and outs of actor earnings and financial planning. Here we go. Welcome to Forget About Money. Today, we've got a good friend of mine, Madi Kachi. I've known Madi probably for 20 plus years now, holy hell. And well, we first got acquainted in the Navy. We were on our first ship together, the USS Tarawa, LHA-1. He had come into the Navy with some passions that weren't Navy-related and then got the opportunity to actually pursue those passions uh, early in the early 2000s. Today, we're going to talk about his journey. We're going to talk about his financial journey, and we're going to talk about his advice that he would give young, budding actors trying to make it in the business and how to balance all of that. Mahdi, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, David. Good to, good to be here with you, man. So I have watched you over the last 20 years. And because I've known you for so long, I have a, I think, a better understanding that it's not just all glitz and glamour out there. But take us way back. How did you first find a passion for acting? Yeah, well, when I was in high school, I started modeling. And I guess you could call it industry adjacent. It's not acting, but it's kind of in the ballpark. And I remember through that, I met a guy who was a talent manager who became a good friend of mine. And he asked me, like, kind of when I just started modeling, hey, have you ever thought about acting? And I was not really, right? But I, hey, I like movies. It's cool. So, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about it, you know, and he was like, okay, well, let's, uh, let's see kind of what you can do. And he was connected to some pretty legitimate casting directors at the time. And he got me, I don't even know if it was really, I was auditioning for the part or it was, Hey, these are some parts that they're having auditions for just take this. Maybe they had already identified an actor. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that I was really in consideration for the job, but I got to like, you know, get some sides, um, you know, some, some scenes to audition with. And, um, the feedback I got from the casting director his you know, who he was connected with was, yeah, he has a cool look. He needs to take some acting classes, <laughs> AKA is terrible. Right. So, that was kind of my introduction. And I was like, well, I'm in college right now. I guess I could enroll in the classes that, that are offered. So it wasn't a very robust theater program at, at Pitt, University of Pittsburgh, but I, you know, had something going on. So I, I signed up and had some fun with that. Um, and I guess that was the intro, right? And then, um, I was in college on an ROTC scholarship. For those who don't know, that means that, you know, the Navy pays for my full tuition and books and stipend and all that. And then upon graduation, I was commissioned as an officer in the Navy and obligated to serve time. That's when you and I met. So I had been, I guess you could say, bitten by the acting bug prior to actually joining the real Navy, but I had no professional um experience, just, just some classes and some, a love for movies and, 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 and that kind of thing. Back in college, what kind of productions did you do? Were you like in theater? Were you in a musical? Did you ever sing and dance? Never did, did sing and dance. It's, uh, these are skills that I have not ever had. Um, but there was some theater, uh, and I ended up doing like a play, um, I was in the marriage of Figaro. <laughs> that was quite funny. But yeah, that was, I just, I did one production. The rest were just, I did the classes that were offered. Um, and yeah, that was kind of, that was the extent of it. So it was very much <laughs> bare bones. And you were doing modeling at this time, correct? Yes. Yes. So I had started modeling, uh, as a high schooler and, um, I was living in Minneapolis, but I had an agent in Minneapolis that ended up placing me with an agency in New York. And through that agency in New York, they had me send out some Polaroids. And, you know, they used to be Polaroids back in the day. And uh, through those Polaroids, I ended up booking the Abercrombie campaign. 
Now, at that time, if you remember our days of our youth, Abercrombie was like that deal for young people. So it was like a big deal. You know, the clothes were a big deal. The campaigns were a big deal. So that was a pretty dope experience to get to do that. And that was kind of like my intro to to bigger modeling, if you will, besides it just on some catalog back at, at home in high school. Um, you know, so that gave me some clout on a college campus. Uh-huh. But I was also, I was pretty oblivious to what the business entailed. So even though I had an agency in New York, I wasn't in New York, I was in Pittsburgh. And my agency in New York was hitting me up like, hey, these are, there's opportunities, you know, like people want to meet with you after this campaign come out. Like we got, we got Kenneth Cole want to meet with you for the campaign. We got Calvin Klein himself wants to meet with you for the new campaign. And I was just like, uh, okay, like, well, what, what are they going to do? And they're like, well, what do you mean? What are they going to do? You, you got to come here. I was like, huh, I don't know how I can do that. You know, like at the time I was like six, eight, 18, right? I was 18 years old and I was broke. Right. I mean, I made a couple of dollars. Actually, no, at the time I didn't even have the money from the Abercrombie campaign. It had yet to pay me. So I was like broke. Right. Um, but yeah, like I didn't, I didn't know what the opportunities were. So I just kind of blew them off. I was like, well, I'm in school. Like I can't really, I mean, can't they just, if they want to book me, why don't they just book me from here? Like, I don't get it. My agency's like, well, what are you talking about? Nobody blows these opportunities. Like to have a chance to meet with Calvin Klein, like anyone would jump at that. I'm like, well, yeah, I want to, but I, I mean, what do you want me to do? You know what I mean? It was just like, I didn't understand the magnitude of what that meant at the time. Um, and you know, like anything else, you know, things come easy to you. You don't, you don't realize. So Abercrombie, again, I sent some polar, I took some Polaroids at a, at an agency in Minneapolis. They sent it to an agency in New York. Next thing I know, they're booking me flights, going to upstate New York, for a week doing the Abercrombie. So that was just kind of like, huh? I didn't really even understand, you know? So then when it's like, no, 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 you actually have to just come here, but then big things can happen. You know, it didn't really register with me because it had sort of come too easily for me at first. So now I'm thinking, why would I have to go there if somebody's interested in me on my own dime? You know, it was kind of like, it's just kind of funny looking back, but that that was the modeling intro. You know, so you were like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a little bit of naivety because you didn't know how the business worked, and at the same time you were trying to balance like going to college and like living the life of a 17, 18, and you just didn't know exactly how all that worked. Maybe you didn't have. Did you have a mentor? Not at all. You had an agent, but did you have like somebody in the business that was like, "This makes sense. This doesn't." I knew nothing. I literally knew nothing. Um, You know, and this was in that era. Also, it was like the baggy jeans era, like. You know, I'm like six two, one. Well, at the time, anything. At the time, I was maybe one eighty. I'm maybe one ninety now. You know, but you know, so generally speaking, slim, athletic build. So realistically, my waist size is like a thirty two, um, and my shirt size is maybe like a large, maybe right. But like, of course, back then it was a baggy era. So like, I didn't wear anything less than like double XL. You know. Um, and it was funny because then after my freshman year of college, I went to New York to do some modeling because now I'm free. Now I don't have a class obligation. So my agent's like, okay, like they were kind of fed up with me, but they were like, all right, are you willing to spend some time here over the summer? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I go out there and they're sending me to these go sees and castings where you go meet photographers, clients, advertisers, things like that. Um, and, you know, I'm showing up with, my double XL gear. I mean, that's just how I live my life, you know? And that ain't the play when it comes to modeling. Like you kind of have to at least show your build, right? So it ain't got to be like skin tight, skin tight, but in a way like fitted clothing or how you sell yourself. And, and Yeah, you got to show them what they're working with or what they might be working with. Right. Yeah. So they were looking at me like, this kid doesn't know what the freak he's doing. And they were right, you know? And then, so I did have an agent kind of square me away with all that. He was like, dude, what are you wearing? You know, use some more choice words. Um, But yeah, like this was just, it's funny, you know, looking back on the level of ignorance and naivete that there was just, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I'm just out here, you know? 
think I have a decent look. <laughs> and what else do I got to do? And, you know, it's not rocket science, but there's more to it than just a look. And, you know, I learned that over time. But at, at that time, I was, I mean, what do you mean? I can change. I can put on the clothes you want me to put on. Like, you know, but I didn't really understand just how to present myself, what was going on in the business, what it took, nothing. Um, but, you know, sounds like an agent maybe let you. It sounds like your agent maybe let you down a little bit because isn't it their job to kind of square you away, especially at the budding stages? Um, I'm not going to, I mean, it's debatable, right? I'm not going to go as far as to like blame others for my own shortcomings. I mean, sure, I could have been guided a little better. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, and that's sort of what maybe folks can understand is that when we get into a business, whether it be modeling, acting, I suppose anything, corporate world, military, whatever, it's like there's a certain degree of responsibility that falls on our own shoulders of what we're going to learn and what we're going to like bring forth as opposed to just rely on somebody to tell me, you know, because mm -hmm. those who need to be told, you kind of also create a burden on your leadership. So if you want to be excellent at whatever it is you're doing. Waiting around to be told isn't exactly how you get there. It's kind of, you know, informing yourself, uh, you know, taking some chances and then sure, checking in with people who know more than you. Um, and I really wasn't doing any of that. I was just kind of like floating by like, oh, I'll do what you tell me. I don't know. You know, and that, uh, yeah. So I, again, I'm, I can't, I always like to side with personal accountability and responsibility. So it's hard for me to, to point any fingers besides that myself, just being a guy who wasn't ready and didn't even know what it took to, to gain some readiness. So I don't know if I've ever even asked you this, but why did you decide to go to Navy ROTC and then follow on? I know how, I know how your journey went after that, but I don't know about how you chose to, was it just trying to get college paid for? Or did you have something, somebody in your family serve and you kind of- yeah, That's another that? great question. Here's a, it's a funny story, man. Like it kind of, in a way, micro to the macro, it shows a little bit of how my life <laughs> went. And so, you know, when you're in, 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 in high school, they start sending you all these mailers, colleges send you mailers. And I remember- when I was a sophomore in high school and I said, okay, I'm going to send back everything because I want to keep my options open. That was the saying in my mind. I want to keep my options open. So I'm going to send back everything and just see what's out there for me. And, you know, you do that early on in your junior year and then you start to get probably like 20 to 30 pieces of mail a day and it starts to get overwhelming. But at the time, you know, when you start, it's kind of easier. And I remember there was a, I got sent something about Navy ROTC, which I didn't know even what that really was. Um, and I didn't have family members that served to answer that question. So I didn't, and I'm from Minnesota. So if you know the geography at all, Minnesota, there's no coastline. So Navy kind of generally needs a coastline because we're talking ships and submarines and things. Yeah, we've got planes too, but a lot of those planes fly off aircraft carriers, which are ships. So most of the Navy bases or Navy towns are somewhat coastal. So being landlocked all the way upper Midwest, Minnesota, like there's no Navy there. There's really no military. There's just some, some like Army National Guard. That's about it. But there's no legit military. So it's not a military community. So I didn't know anything about the military. And I had the, uh, it was a reply card. And you know, it's funny. People ask me, oh, why did you choose the Navy? And honestly, it might come down to a simple answer that I thought the white uniforms looked pretty sharp. You know, from movies and from commercials and TV, whatever, like my baseline knowledge, something about those white uniforms that kind of looked cool to me and sharp and squared away. So I filled out that card and I didn't fill out any other, like, you know, Army, Air Force, whatever, like Marine Corps, like, but the Navy, I filled out that card. And I swear, <laughs> as soon as you fill that thing out, because it was, you know, it, it was a postcard as, you know, already stamped. So I didn't have to do nothing. All I do is like fill out the information and drop the doggone thing in the mail. And, you know, it was already posted, paid. And I swear, yeah, as soon even, as I dropped that thing in the mailbox. You just put it in the mailbox. 
you raised that flag and then your phone started ringing. Like literally, like it yeah. was weird. It was like, wait a second, did they? Like it, that's how yeah. fast it felt. It felt like as soon as I dropped that thing, you know, this it's a landline at the time, but the house phone was ringing and I was answering and a guy was asking me about that. I was like, oh, oh, dang, you, you really, you really gonna call me. Uh oh, you know, it's just a little nerve wracking. But yeah, I talked to a guy and was the, <laughs> there's another funny story, just, just emphasizing how little I did know. So a guy, he called me and he's like, hey, this is Pete Zabrowski. And, you know, I see you sent this card in and, and, and we want to, we want to do an interview. We can do a preliminary interview and determine whether or not you're eligible to apply for the scholarship and blah, blah, blah. And he was, you know, he was talking pretty fast, but he sounded like a nice guy. And I was like, all right, this sounds cool. And he was like, you know, we can have you an interview. And he goes, have you taken the SAT or ACT? And at the time I hadn't, and I had missed my date. Another story of me being me, right? It was like, I had signed up for a date when the mail came, like my older sister checked the mail that day. And I don't even know, didn't put it in the kitchen where everybody could see it. So when I finally found my date thing, I never got the confirmation, whatever. Bottom line is I'd missed a date. So now I'm going into my senior year with no standardized test scores. And that's not really a good look because you want to get into schools. So what he said, and this is over the summer, summer before senior year of high school, he said, look, we have a guy that can test because if anyone remembers in high school, there's only certain dates, maybe like five dates throughout the year that you can take these standardized tests. And he said, it's the same. You still got to pay the money. The only difference is you could take it now over the summer because we got a guy from ACT who can administer it to you rather than having to wait on those like, you know, broad five dates a year during the school year. So I was like, huh. Well, that's enough incentive because then I can, I can have a score on the books going into my senior year. And that's probably going to be of, to my benefit. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So he had me come in, you know, we, I went into the thing and he taught, he chatted me up maybe for like five minutes. And then he was like, you know, that was your interview. I don't even need to do an interview. I could tell from the kind of guy you are, you're exactly what we're looking for. So, you know, he gasped me up. That made me feel good. You know, he's like, he's like so yeah, you're definitely, you're definitely the kind of caliber of, of, of guy and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, and I thought we were just talking. So I was like, okay, that's cool. He thinks I'm a, I'm a solid guy. And then I went to take the test in, in the office. It was like their, I don't know, the ROTC recruiting office, whatever that was. And there was a guy. Like, I swear it looked like a cartoon, had like the thickest glasses, was kind of pudgy and like had these, I suppose, official ACT timers. And it was like, it ticked the entire time while I was taking the test. But I guess that's how they got to time it to where they show you're getting the right time limit official. And I took the ACT in the end of so it was like August. So like when my mind is the least learning ready, you know, because you School stopped in May. So now like I'm, you know, being a knucklehead all summer, not doing anything to stimulate the mind, didn't do any kind of prep course, any kind of anything. And now I'm taking a test on a summer day in an office with a dude sitting behind me with a ticking clock. But anyways, took that. Then the guy was like, and I remember when I went in, so when I went into Pete Zabrowski's office, I remember his name tag didn't say, it said like, something else Zabrowski. It was like M Zabrowski. So I was like, huh, I thought his name was Pete. So I was so confused. And then after the test, the uh, the ACT guy goes, oh, so where's the chief? And I was like, chief. And then I was like, oh, he was saying Chief Zabrowski. And I didn't even know what a chief was. So I thought he was saying Pete. So I'm like, I've been calling this man Pete the whole while. He's a chief. And his name is completely something different. And and that was his rank. He was a chief in the Navy. So this is just, it's kind of a funny story now. Like, cause I felt stupid. Cause I'm like, I didn't even know a chief existed. Cause I knew, you know, sergeants and things like that from movies, but Navy has a whole different rank structure. So this, this whole chief thing, but yeah, so that's, that was how crazy of a lack of military knowledge I had. I'm calling this dude Pete when his chief. Um, So anyways, he said, okay, I'm going to give you this packet. This is the application. You take this home and you can start it. But we have to determine that you're even board eligible to apply, which means your ACT has to be over a certain threshold. 
once those scores come back in a couple of weeks, then I can green light you to actually submit your application. I was like, cool. So he called me in a couple of weeks. He goes, hey, good news. And, um, I remember he was calling me shipmate. And I liked that. It sounded real like I belonged to something. He's like, hey, shipmate, good news. Found out you're board eligible. I was like, cool. You know, he's like, so you can get started on that thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Will do. Now I knew his name was Chief. So I'm like, all right, Chief. Uh, didn't get started. Just put it on. Kept it in the manila packet, of course. The guy would call me weekly. Every, every, every like Thursday, he would call me. Every Thursday night, he'd call me at the house. How's that application going, shipmate? I was like, oh, it's pretty good. Hadn't opened the doggone thing, but just I would say that because I'm like, yeah, you know, tell him what he wants to hear. Then, you know, he called me weekly, weekly, weekly. Then he calls me like on another Thursday and was like, okay, so um, I got, he goes, he goes, how's that going? I said, oh, it's going, it's going well, you know, getting close to completion. He goes, perfect. Actually, I'm going in to um, CNET, which is Chief of Naval Education and Training. It's the bit, it's the headquarters for like ROTC and all that nationwide. He's like, I'm going in there personally. I can hand carry your application in. So like, I'm not saying it's going to give you a better chance, but I can at least save you the postage. He's like, so I'll come to your school tomorrow on my way out of town and just pick it up. I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. I was, man. So the first time cracked that thing, it was like eight, eight or nine at night on a Thursday. So I hadn't even opened it. It's, it's like applying for a competitive college. You've got to write essays. You've got to fill out all these forms and all this stuff. So I was up like all night applying that night only because I had lied to this guy for months telling him I was doing it. So I was like, well, I got it. Can't just tell him no, you know? Um, and sure enough, the next day he came to my school, he picked it up and that was it. I completely forgot about it. And then, and usually those notifications happen early or I don't know when they happen, but I think what they do is they notify the first round and then if people turn it down, maybe they get the second round. You know what I mean? It's like a wedding invitation or something. Either way, I got notified after I graduated. The, I was like two days after I graduated high school. Everyone's like, Marty, where are you going to college? I don't know. I, I don't know. And then I got the notification. Congratulations. You've received this scholarship and yada, yada, yada. So was, again, just now I know it's a long story, but it's kind of just telling you. This was not my life plan. This was not like my dad was in the military and not always. It was like, man, this kind of fell into my lap, dude. And then when I got the scholarship, I kind of looked at my mom and she looked at me like, because she didn't have the money to send me. And I didn't have it myself. So it was like, well, I guess might as well try this thing out. And it, and it was also, they had it structured where you could do a year of school and ROTC on the scholarship for free, so to speak. Whereas like, if you didn't like it or wasn't for you, you wouldn't owe any time after that first year. So I was like, well, worst comes to worst, I guess I can try this out. And that was uh that was my intro to it all. I didn't I didn't know. I just figured, hey, it's an, it's an opportunity kind of fell into my lap, so might as well take it. And, and for those listening wondering if it's still that way, I we have no idea, at least I do not, what has changed regarding the Navy ROTC programs for colleges. I think a lot has changed since then. So don't take our word for it, but you know, you can call Pete Sabrowski and he'll, he'll get you in the name. Hey, and there's a lot more information now. Like, I guess the internet existed back then, but man, it was different. I was, I was in the dark. Now you can kind of probably, if you're a young high schooler, you can probably figure everything out that you need to know on Reddit before you even apply. But me, yeah, I was just kind of by the skin of my teeth. So you went through college and you did more modeling. What was your first break in acting after the Navy? Or did you have acting before or during the Navy? Um, no, just some modeling still when I was in the Navy. Um, and I remember you did a Roadrunner footwear campaign. Yes. Right here in San Diego, do, correct? I used to do a little bit while I was in the Navy in San Diego. Um, I had a department head that was actually pretty cool and would, would let me take some days off when I, when I would book a shoot when we were, when the ship was in port. So, um, yeah. So that was when I was on the ship with you and some days I'd get, I'd get the day off and go shoot a little modeling job, uh, or whatever it may be. And that was cool. Right. And, but no acting still. Then once I got off active duty, 
I decided to move to LA and pursue acting. And again, I didn't know what that entailed. I didn't know what that meant. I just thought it made sense at the time. How did that feel from going from something so, so with it, so going from the Navy that has a very clear framework to not only you're in your young, you're in your early 20s, I imagine, if I remember right, 23, 24 at the time, and you are stepping out of probably the most structured job anybody could have, both from a, like a mentor standpoint, a pay standpoint, into one of the most chaotic, I would imagine, kind of environments, the world of acting in Los Angeles. How did that transition go for you? Not so well, actually. Um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I felt in many ways more grown, more mature when I was 22, 23 in the Navy, a division officer in charge of a division of 30 men and women, than when I was in my later 20s, early 30s, living in LA, just kind of trying to figure things out, you know, living a juvenile lifestyle. Um, so yeah, it didn't, the transition did not go so well. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I had an agent. That was all I had. I had like a modeling and commercial agent when I went to LA and finally, eventually found an acting class, but I was like, you know, very insecure. And I was like the worst actor in the class. And I would like skip classes, but I'm paying for them out of my own pocket. I'm skipping them because I didn't want to get, you know, the negative critique from the teacher. So that's like my mindset at the time. And then I stopped going to class and, you know, avoiding that difficult thing and was going, was doing some, some, some modeling and relocated to New York. Again, all these avoidance tactics that at the time I could justify. Um, and yeah, I found myself in my thirties without much career to speak of broke, um, in debt, credit card debt and such had people telling me I never should have left the Navy, you know, so-called friends, right? Like that, that was their advice. Man, you never should have left the Navy. That's thanks. You know, <laughs> but yeah, that's, times that, didn't that stay was, rough forever, right? Times didn't stay rough forever. You had a breakthrough. What was your, what was your first major breakthrough in acting? Well, the first thing was, again, I was in LA all this time and I was just taking classes. I couldn't even get an agent in film and TV, just commercials and and modeling. So I had a couple of decent years commercially where I booked some commercials and stuff, but still no film and TV. And then eventually I met a guy who became a good friend and mentor to me um, named Jimmy, Jimmy Gonzalez. And he taught me about the opportunity in the Southeast. That's Atlanta. And he split in time between Atlanta and New Orleans. He had built himself a nice little career, a bunch of credits, and he moved to LA. And that's when I met him. And he told me about the opportunity. And you know, so off his advice, I relocated to Atlanta with zero credits. Again, I'd never done film or TV um, and got an agent out there. And eventually, about six months after being in Atlanta, I got my first ever acting job. And that was, I was playing a cop on Dynasty. A couple of lines, few lines, but it was like so meaningful and such a big deal at the time because to go from zero to the first is like, it was like an insurmountable obstacle at a, at a time. So that, uh, you know, that at least started the ball rolling. And then six months later, I booked another, you know, smaller part on a, on a show. And then two weeks after that, I booked another part. So these are all like small co-star parts, but it was, okay, now we're moving in a direction that maybe there's something to this. Maybe it's not just a pipe dream anymore. Um, and that was, that was fantastic to get started. Yeah, you got some momentum, some comp more confidence that maybe all those acting classes that you took in LA that you didn't want the critique were actually starting to pay off. <laughs> and probably most importantly, there was somebody out there that saw something in you that was willing to give you the advice, which I don't know how, I mean, especially these days, I don't know how, and especially in LA, you think stereotypically, like everybody's out for themselves. It's all about what they can get and what you can't get from them. Yeah or can't take from them or what opportunities they're going to, you know, it's like, it seems like it, everybody just fights for the opportunities, but you found some special someone out there uh, that actually just took you under his wing and said, Hey, this is how I did it. These are what I see as the opportunities. And I think it could work for you. And then you went leap of faith to the dirty, dirty, hung out with Ludacris a little bit, <laughs> no little John and started your career uh, really picking up then. So 
But that was a long duration, right? So the time you got out of the Navy was your early 20s. And the time that th- things got flown for you is a decade later, right? Is that, is that rough? Yeah. I mean, if we want to just do some time, it was, I got out of the Navy in 05 and not until 2017 in Atlanta was my first acting job. So that's 12 years of like, <laughs> no acting. <laughs> and then you hear of some of these people that just get in a car and drive from Montana to LA and the next three, three months later, they're on some hit sitcom. Those I, I would imagine are and Say again. Great. And that's great. Look, it's like everybody's journey is different. For me, this was a journey that I needed. And in contrast, we can contrast it with modeling. I had early success modeling, didn't even know why. And then it was kind of like chasing that in a way in my modeling career when I was like, it was, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like you take things for granted when they come easily. And acting for sure did not come easily. So the appreciation and sort of the reward involved in actually accomplishing something in it meant so much more to me. Um, and it like it still does. So now it's kind of like, I'm just so grateful to have this career because I know what it took. And me personally, because I was not a natural, it was not like, oh yeah, I just put him in something. It was like, <laughs> I had to go through a lot to even be semi-passable to get put on any show doing anything, you know? So I, yeah, that journey, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it would have been nice, I suppose, to have it kind of fast forwarded earlier, but the, it wouldn't have meant as much and it wouldn't have impacted me the same way. So I needed what I got. Yeah. Mari, so this is the time where you, you, you name drop. Tell Tell us everything that you've been in that you're most proud of so that we know what we can go find you in. Well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess a, a decent handful of, of, of parts that I've, I've had a good time. I mean, I've enjoyed them all. Obviously, Dynasty is very meaningful to me as the first one ever. Um, you know, they, they were willing to give me a shot. And that's the thing. I'm trying to get after that. I did like The Gifted. I did The Residents, uh, Watchmen. Uh, on HBO, what else? Um, the show called Dolly Parton Heartstrings. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go through all of them because there's not like that many. But um, you know, my first named part, all my parts up to this that I've named were like my name in the show was my occupation. So I was uniformed cop, and then I was police officer, and then I was security guard, and then I was paramedic. You know what I mean? I was playing what I was doing. And then the first time that I actually had a named part was um, for this movie called The Lovebirds. Um, it's actually Paramount. And it, it, it ended up being released on Netflix because of the COVID and all that. But um, so it's, it's now a Netflix movie. But uh, that movie was the first time that I actually like had a name and had a cool little, you know, arc in the story. So that was a big milestone for me as well. I wasn't wearing a uniform. I was like, a guy, you know? Um, and that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a good experience. And let's see, after that, I did, uh, I did two episodes on a Tyler Perry show called Sisters, which was a great experience. And like, I didn't expect Tyler Perry himself to be the director. Cause I'm like, Oh, he's such a big celebrity. He probably has guest directors, but sure enough, like I show up on set and he's there. He's the guy yelling action and cut. And I was, well, that's a big deal, you know? Um, and then a couple months after that, I got an audition to be a lead on a Tyler Perry show called Bruh. And I ended up getting a callback for that and ended up booking that. So that's been the major like life changer, um, just financially as well as career-wise. And then since then, I've I've had some 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 great parts that I've enjoyed. Um, I had a fun episode of The Walking Dead. I was uh did a couple episodes of the show called The Terminal List. Um, I was uh the episode of Grownish. Um, I was on She-Hulk. Like, yeah, decent handful of things. Like, you know, I'm probably not saying that's an exhaustive list, but um, I recently shot an episode of the Miss Pat show. Uh, yeah, so it's again, it's all good. I'm super grateful to like continue to build career with getting that chance to play all these parts. I know I got a BET plus subscription just to watch you and bruh. My man. So, yeah, I tried it. And 
if you're listening to this, Marty's very modest uh, because I don't know how many times I've always asked him like, hey, man, where am I going to see you next? Because I want to, you know, follow him and track him. He's like, oh, and then usually I hear it from like my brother or say, hey, Marty was on that show or someone else said, don't you know him? I was like, well, what was he in? Let me go watch it. So because, I mean, you're always so modest. Not, I mean, not that you're trying to, you know, keep information from me, but I know that uh, you probably also don't want to come off as like this big Hollywood movie star, but one day you probably will be, and I'll be glad to know you. So we're looking at, what, 12 years, 13 years between the time that you left the Navy to the time that things actually got rolling in your acting career. Through that time, how did you pay the bills, man? Like, because if, if I'm a young actor and I'm hearing this story, I'm like, okay, I, I have a passion. I want to be an actor. I want to get into some kind of entertainment industry. LA is the place to be. I'm going to get in my car and drive cross country and go. But then how do you trudge through that decade before something may or may not land for you? Well, um, I don't recommend doing what I did, which is just go into a lot of credit card debt. I don't because it's just the stench of desperation. It's easy to smell. You'd smell it through the camera. So when you're going in auditioning and you need the job, it's not great because nobody likes desperate people. So you don't want to hire desperate people if you're the, you know, producer on a job. Um, so yeah, again, I, I had my journey, but I don't think it it was the wise is the wise way to go. Um, and partially because I had created such a hole for myself. By the time I booked Bruh, I was fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt. Now, thankfully. After season one, I was able to pay that all off one shot. That was a great feeling. But, you know, aside from booking a a part, the magnitude of like a series regular and doing a whole season, a regular acting job is not going to get that debt knocked out, you know? Um, So I created such a hole for myself that nothing short of what, of being a series regular on a show could have actually put a dent in that. So... That's where I'm like, ah, there's got to be a better way. Um, and I think, and I've seen other guys who, you know, have other ways to, to earn some income, um, stay out of debt, avoid that, have some type of, you know, emergency fund things. Um, all of that smarter. You know, I, I did a, I've done a lot of things to earn a couple of bucks from, you know, driving ride share to, to delivering food to like doing little catering one-off gigs to, you know, I did it. Some, some years were okay modeling and commercially some years weren't as great. So it was like when good, when I had some good commercial years, I was actually making decent money, but it was inconsistent because in some years I wouldn't have any commercials. And then it's like a couple of modeling jobs trickling in. And so, yeah, I mean the money, and then I was in the reserves, which is like part-time military. So I had that as a supplement as well. So, you know, it was like, it's rubbing a lot of nickels together, trying to make dimes. And, you know, I was able to sort of live that lifestyle because I didn't have a wife or kids. So I could sort of stay in that juvenile mindset of like, ah, it'll be all right. Like, I'm not going to starve. I'll figure it out, which was true, but it's also a stressful way to go. Um, (laughs) So yeah, try to avoid getting into debt. Try to keep some flow of income through it, through some stream. So when you started getting that paycheck for bruh, you actually were able to completely wipe out the credit card debt. Yes. And then as you continued to film additional seasons, you continued to get pay. So what, first off, can we talk about what ways an actor can get paid? And then second, once you do start getting constant influx of money, how do you, let's say above of what your living standard is, how do you then invest for retirement? Because that's not a traditional type of job. So first, let's talk about um, the ways actors get paid. Mm-hmm. And then two, how do you actually like plan for long-term growth, like retirement planning? Right. So, um, I mean, generally speaking, as an actor, when, you, when you're booking a job, let's say a TV show or a movie, um, You'll get paid for filming it, the session fee. So maybe you'll do a weekly if you're doing a week on it. Or um, if you're just doing one day, you could pay that daily rate, a handful of days or a couple of weeks or whatever maybe. And then that's the first pay that you'll get. 
Um, and then, and then you'll get some residuals most likely depending on how the show, you know, and residuals are always hard to calculate, especially with streaming these days. And it's kind of part of the reason of the strike used to be like network airs and advertisements and all that were paying, you know, the residually residuals would be paid differently. Now with like a streaming world, um, the money residually is not as long. See, I've kind of only been around in the streaming world in the transition time. So I don't have it to compare to like these actors who were in that sitcom era of like Seinfeld and friends and cheers and like all of that when it was like on network television. And then all of a sudden it goes into syndication and now it's on Fox five nights a week. And that's a whole new set of money that they're getting. And, you know, that was kind of, um, that was an era, you know, as, as the marketplace has shifted, now it's not quite like that. But, you know, you still get residuals based on how it sort of distributes after the initial filming of it. Um, you know, and movies that are still released in the box office, you still get, you know, a portion of that. And then after the box office, where does it go? And, um, so this is all ways that money can come from television and film. Now, we never know what a show or a movie is going to do, which is why you can build wide. So it's like body of work is always going to serve you. Because if you build a body of work and you've done a lot of shows, a lot of movies, some of them are going to hit residually harder than others. You can't really predict that. But if you just have even a small part in a movie that does great at the box office, you're going to see some of that. Um, and, you know, you'll see that continually, continuously. So, yeah, that's why it's like if you build a big enough, large enough body of work, well, then money will come to you when you didn't exactly know it was going to come to you. So it's like, oh, you've you've worked so much. It's like, oh, man, strike. I haven't worked all year. And then all of a sudden, you know, you check your residuals tracker and you're like, oh, I got a check for 14 grand coming. It's like, oh, that's that's cool. You know what I mean? Um but again, the tough part is if you're just relying on that income, you know, so like you said, planning for retirement, all that. So about as steady work as you can get is being on a show and then having that show go multiple seasons. That's about as secure as you'll ever be in the, in the acting world. Um, so if you have that, then that's when you have to start kind of stacking and putting away. And that's, you know, any financial training. I remember I, I kind of did some basic, you know, started out with the basics after, after season one, because I didn't, I had sort of avoided money management for most of my life because I didn't really have money to manage. So that was my cop out excuse to not doing it. And then after season one, I was like, well, let me, maybe I should start doing a little research and figure some stuff out, you know, starting out with like a Dave Ramsey, obviously that's like bare bones for a lot of people. Um, and getting out of debt is first thing having a little emergency fund and all that. And I would say for an actor in the emergency fund, as they say, the emergency fund should be based on kind of your ability to replace the income, ability to replace the job. So if you're a nurse, you might not need as big of an emergency fund because everybody needs nurses. If you're an actor and the industry might go on strike and you might just have a lull and you might not book for a while, three months is probably not sufficient for an emergency fund. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes I get it, it's hard to build, but ideally you probably want to have like at least a year that can, you know, you can cover your full expenses um, as, you know, the bare bones expenses, like your living expense, eating, all that stuff. I'd say try to have at least a year because again, COVID shut the industry down and then a year and a half, two years later, strike, you know, and, and then you're just kind of subject to like, oh, there's not even the opportunity for work because if the industry shut down, we're not even auditioning. It's not like I'm auditioning, I'm not booking. It's like, there is nothing. So unless I have a ton of residuals coming in, like I'm, my income, my earning potential is limited. So having a cushion is going to do you a favor. Let's assume I, my acting career has started. I've gotten some residuals, but it's not, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe half the bills, my routine bills, and I've got an emergency fund and I'm looking for the next step. I want to, let's say there's no strike, things going well. That's why you have the emergency fund that mitigates that downside risk. But I want to go to the next level with my money. I just don't want to watch my money keep just piling up in a checking account. 
what do I do with it next? Are actors considered contractors? I'm trying to get into technica- the technicality of like, do you start a solo 401k? Do you do a SEP IRA? What are your options as an actor? Yes. Um, so I think the threshold, and it may have changed based on different tax implications. At the time when I started my S Corp um, as an actor, so essentially, yes, you are a you are a small business, and what your business is is contracting acting services for yourself. So it's like a single person S Corp. Um, so you're an owner and employee of an S Corp. Correct. Okay. Correct. And then when you are hired for acting work, they're essentially paying your corp for your services and you know, then you got a salary yourself and all that. So that's, that was what I did at the time, the threshold and, you know, the, the different calculators, right? I mean, a lot of different experts, but at the time it was sort of like, if you were making over 119 K, I think based on the tax, I think it was based on like the standard deduction at the time, um, you know, being like earners over that. But if you were making like over 119 K, it was probably smart to be an S-Corp as an actor. If you make it under that, you can just be a, a, a sole proprietor and just, you know, they're just paying you and your taxes are being mm-hmm. withheld, you know. Um, as an S-Corp, there are no taxes withheld that pay you the full amount. So that's what I did. And then I started. But to be so- clear, if you're an S-Corp, sorry, an S-Corp would still have to pay taxes later. Like there's, you don't just get away from paying taxes, but your S-Corp right. will be it's responsible not withheld for paying from taxes. paychecks yeah. from the production company. If I'm listening to that, I just heard S-Corps are tax-free the way you said it. So I just want to make sure that if anybody's listening, S-Corps, that'd be great, but no, it doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. They, they, they don't withhold the taxes when the payroll company pays you for your acting services, but then all the taxing all the taxation responsibilities on you, no longer the payroll company who's paying you. Um, so, yeah, and then I started a solo 401k. Now, is that you personally or under the S-Corp? Did your S-Corp start the solo so 401k? So my S-Corp started the solo 401k. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I, it's weird because, you know, at the time, a couple of years ago, I had, I was doing all the sort of pros and cons between an, a SEP IRA and a solo K. And I came up with a solo K and now I don't really even remember all the reasons why that I felt it was the best. You could probably tell me better. Um, but I think it had something to do with the fact that like based on how much you salary yourself, you can match. So you can, for your contributions, I think with a SEP, there's like a maximum of what, like 25% or something. I don't remember. I don't want to quote nothing because now I'm not. But I feel like somehow based on the salary that I salaried myself, I could, you know, I could match that percentage amount as my S Corp, as well as I can like max it out as a personal. So somehow I felt like the contribution limits were a little more favorable with the solo 401k. But, you know, again, these are all going to be talked to a tax professional about, figured out. Yeah. So I just looked it up. I'm looking at uh, Kiplinger.com and I'll put this in the in the uh, show notes below, it says, uh, what is the maximum SEP IRA contribution for 2024? So for 2024, a self-employed business owner effectively can put away as much as $69,000 a year, but no more than 25% of their compensation. And that's from a SEP IRA. And it doesn't say anything about matching. So um, I believe 401k is matching a SEP IRA, maybe not be, but again. Well, 25% of your compensation so you have to be salarying yourself. So if you're salarying yourself 100K, you can only donate or con- contribute, I'm sorry, yeah. 25,000 yeah. to your SEP IRA, correct? Based on the way yeah. it reads. So let me look into the 401k. It looks like the contributions are similar. Contribution limit is up to $69,000 in 2024. Obviously, if you know, just like with many of the other retirement accounts, if you're above 50, you can get catch-up catch up contributions. Let's see. But you're right. But as far as the difference, and I'm not seeing it quite yet, but yeah, we'll take a look at that. And maybe I'll put a link in the comments that talks about the difference between SEP IRA and 401, solo 401k and why, you know, the pros and cons or something like that. Yeah. It's a good. Yeah. There's something yeah. about the fact that you can, um, something about the fact that you can contribute. As the C Corp and as the individual in a 401k, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Like you could, like you can't incorporate, like in, if you're like a regular like W2 job. Like your all based on your salary. What you, what you salary yourself, that's how much you can max out. Whereas like mm-hmm. the solo K, there's a portion. The matching, I think, is based on the, 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 the corp can only contribute a percentage of the salary, but then you as the individual can like contribute a certain amount as well. So you, you yeah. have like a little more space there, if I remember correctly. Been a while. And then once it's in that vehicle, it's just like anything else. You can select whether Vanguard, Schwab, anybody else, you can have that vehicle with any of these companies and then select your investments from there, whether it be broad market index funds or individual stocks or anything like that. Correct. And I just followed your advice on that, actually. Yeah. If you're listening, I'm not giving formal advice as a paid advisor. It's just my opinion as a friend. Yep. So and he's a guy don't who knows. Don't sue me. I, I feel and Mati, like you can't sue me either, man. Listen to him. You can't sue me either, either, but it's worked out for you well so far, I think. I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I got more. I mean, I've oh. got more in there than I contributed, so. <laughs> All right. All right. So, Mati, what do you have coming up that we can find you in? Um, well, we filmed season four of Bruh on BT Plus. I believe that should be coming out within the month um, on on the on BT Plus streaming app. And I filmed just recently an episode of the Miss Pat Show, which is like a sitcom. It's a traditional sitcom with a live studio audience. So that's the first time I've had that experience. Pretty pretty cool, right? This is like, and I just read Will Smith's book too, and he talks about how great it was filming in front of a live studio audience when they're doing Fresh Prince. And for the most part, that's kind of a relic of the industry. They don't, there aren't many anymore in existence, traditional sitcom in front of a live studio audience. And the Miss Pat show, they filmed in front of a live audience. And it was really a fun experience. Everyone on the, sh- everyone on the show, the cast and crew was super nice. And then just like, it's like a play, perform it live in front of people. So it's like a play and TV at the same time. It was very, very cool. I don't know when that season four, I think episode eight or something that I was in, I don't know exactly when that's going to release, but you keep your eye peeled for that. All right. Well, now that you're in LA, you're back in LA from Atlanta. Yes. I know I visited you a few times when you were in Atlanta uh, and a few characters as well uh, that you introduced me to. Uh, good guys. Uh, it's always great to follow what you're doing, uh, not only from a like a fan perspective, but like as a friendship perspective. And I'm glad that you always reach out to me when you think I can help in any way. And of course, I reach out to you uh, just so I know what streaming service to start renting next month so I can keep track of you. And now that you're in LA, you're gonna have to come back down to San Diego or I'll come up and visit you. And I really do appreciate you taking the time today. We do this every, I don't know, we probably have conversations like this on the phone. I don't know what, once every quarter, maybe, maybe once every six months, but we're fortunate to get to videotape this one and we get to share it. So again, thanks, Marty. I look forward to probably coming up to LA and hanging out with you up there. Hey, anytime, man. You know, you're welcome, brother. Thank you all for listening.